Acts chapter 16. We'll begin at verse 22. It's on the screen so we can all read the same version together. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, Lord, thank you for your presence. We don't take that lightly. Thank you for your word. Now I ask that uh, you will strengthen me, that you will give me a special grace of that anointing that makes preaching easy and powerful. And I ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive that which the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up to you other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones that are not yet walking in right relationship with you. Pray that you will draw them to a place of repentance. And I, I pray particularly, Lord, for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask, oh Lord, that you'll send the Holy Spirit after them, that you'll draw them. Don't, don't let them rest until they once more return to you. I pray that not one of them will be lost. And I pray all these things today in the only name that matters matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody who understands what I mean when I talk about having one of those days. Anybody ever had one of those days? One of those days is when it seems that everything that can go wrong goes wrong. One of those days is when one bad thing piles on top of another until everything just collapses. One of those days is when you just want to run away and hide from everything and everybody. I suspect we've all had them, and if you haven't had one yet, I hate to tell you, but you're overdue for one. <laughs> Chapter 16 of the book of Acts opens, Paul and Silas are embarking on a missionary journey 
wanting to go into new territory, but they can't seem to get confirmation from the Lord about where to go. They have some ideas about where they want to go, but each time they make a plan, the Holy Spirit puts up a do not enter sign. It seems to be a rather frustrating time for these missionaries. First one idea and then another is blocked by the Holy Spirit. They seem to be just aimlessly wandering along until finally they come to a place called Troas. That night, Paul has a vision of a man making an appeal for him to come over to Macedonia and give them some help. That vision becomes the confirmation for which they were looking, and they immediately make plans to head in that direction. Their first stop in that region is in the city of Philippi. After wandering around the city for a few days, they learn about a prayer meeting that was being held on the banks of the river just outside the gates of the city. They decided to attend, and there found a group of women who had assembled to worship. There they met a businesswoman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She responded to their message, became a believer in Jesus, was baptized, and opened her home as a place for the missionaries to stay while in Philippi. A few days later, Paul and Silas were on their way to the place of prayer when they encountered a slave girl with a demonic spirit of divination. Her masters made quite a, quite a healthy profit off her fortune-telling, which was made possible by the demonic presence in her life. Well, this girl started following after Paul and Silas and crying out, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Day after day, she followed them around yelling the same message over and over again. Now, what she was saying was exactly right, but the spirit behind her proclamation was exactly wrong. And because the spirit within her was not of God and everyone knew it, it negated any of her good words. Not only that, but her persistent shouting was annoying and distracting. And after a while, she started getting on Paul's last nerve. It's right there in the original language, last nerve. Just, yeah. <laughs> Finally, Paul turned to her and said to the spirit in her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Well, immediately the demon departed and the girl was instantly delivered. Now, that was wonderful for the girl, but it created a, a dilemma for Paul and Silas, because suddenly the owners of this slave girl could no longer gain any profit from her fortune-telling because with the departure of the demonic spirit, her fortune-telling abilities vanished. So the owners of the slave girl cooked up some false accusations about Paul and Silas throwing the city in confusion and proclaiming customs contrary to Roman law. Things quickly went downhill for Paul and Silas. The people incited a riot grabbed the two preachers, dragged them in front of the city magistrates with their phony charges. Without any trial or hearing, the magistrates had them arrested, stripped, beaten with rods, thrown into maximum security in the inner prison, and fastened their feet in stocks. I think it's safe to say that Paul and Silas are having one of those days. What started as a day of celebration over the deliverance of a servant girl turned into a day of incarceration for Paul and Silas. When next we hear of Paul and Silas, it's midnight. And it's here 
Then we pick up the story, and I want you to see the pain they endured. These missionaries are in Philippi as a result of a direct vision from the Lord. They are doing exactly what the Holy Spirit has called them to do. They are doing it exactly where the Lord has placed them to do it. They have had marvelous success in seeing people come to faith in Jesus and in seeing the powers of darkness driven away. But here they are in the worst trouble of their lives having one of those days. They are arrested, stripped of their clothes, beaten. They are put in the dungeon, which is the inner prison. This is the darkest, filthiest dankest part of the prison. It's rat and roach infested. The dirt floor is soaked with human excrement. They've been placed in stocks, which means that their legs are stretched beyond what is normal and natural and comfortable. And then those feet and legs are fastened so that they can't move them. And then the muscles begin to cramp, creating excruciating pain. And there's no outside light that is able to penetrate into that inner chamber, and it's midnight. Now, I know some of you thought that if you could just get in the center of God's will for your life, then the birds would forever be singing sweetly in the trees, the sky would be a permanent dazzling blue. The breezes would always be blowing favorably. Your every desire would be instantly fulfilled and you would never have to struggle again. What you need is a healthy dose of reality. You may not know this, but being in the middle of God's perfect will for your life doesn't exempt you from trouble. Maybe you haven't been subjected to the kind of prison condition these missionaries endured. But I'm preaching to some people who understand something about midnight and the pain of midnight. Midnight is the darkest time. Midnight is the lonely place. Midnight is when you can't see what's beside you or behind you or in front of you or above you. It's just this empty void. Midnight is the place where you feel stuck. Midnight is the place where you feel trapped. Midnight is the place where things are scary. Midnight is when the kids are going astray and you feel helpless to stop them. Midnight is when your health is deteriorating and the prognosis is terminal. Midnight is when you feel lost and without direction. Midnight is when the job is terminated and the bills are mounting and the kids are hungry and the car is broken and the rent is past due and the power is turned off and there's no assistance in sight. At midnight, pain is magnified. At midnight, loss is accentuated. At midnight, help seems like it will never come. At midnight, mourning feels like it will never dawn. Am, am I preaching to anybody who understands what it's like at midnight? I'm just making sure I'm preaching to the right crowd today. Paul and Silas could have been forgiven if they had given in to the despair of midnight. I mean, we would understand if instead of singing, they had joined their groans with those of the other prisoners. 
We wouldn't fault them if they cried out in misery or even cursed in anger. Nobody would have blamed these guys if they had cashed it in right there and vowed never again to go on another missionary journey. Their recorded response to midnight is actually the last thing we would expect. In the midst of the pain they endured, the Bible then tells us about the praise they expressed. Verse 25 says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Think about that for a moment. Think about what's going on in their life, the condition they're in, and what are they going to do? They start singing. The Bible doesn't tell us the songs they were singing, but I'm persuaded to believe today they weren't singing the blues. I'm persuaded to believe their songs weren't sung in the minor key. As I was thinking about this, I, I got to wondering if maybe... Maybe they sang the song of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. I, I just wonder if they didn't mentally turn in their psalm book to Psalm 27, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord is my light. I know it's midnight. I know it's dark in the inner dungeon. But the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host is camp against me. My heart will not fear. The war arise against me in spite of this. I shall be confident. Or, or maybe, maybe they began to sing Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I don't know how many songs they sang, but I like to think that before they finished their song festival, they got over to the back of the hymn book. You know, the back of the hymn book, we don't sing a lot of times, but they got over to singing some of the hallelujah psalms in the back of the book. Maybe they sang Psalm 1. 146. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. (laughs) Somewhere, somewhere in the midst of their pain and suffering, in the midnight hour, they reached down and touched their assurance point. They remembered that right now things may be bad, but God is still good. Things may not be going their way, but God has not abandoned them. They may be having one of those days, but God has not changed. He is still worthy of praise. Listen, listen, listen. Your spiritual adversary may be able to create pain in your life, but he can't stop your praise. He he may be able to put you in a dark place, but he can't silence your song. Your worship isn't dependent upon your circumstance. Your worship is a decision of your will in response to the worthiness of your God. There are two things I know about worship. Two things I know about your worship. First of all, worship is your witness. Worship is your witness. Did you notice the last part of verse 25? It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You may be in midnight right now, but you need to realize that there's somebody who's bound. There's somebody who needs God's redeeming love and grace. Somebody who's close to you who needs a word of hope and help. And that somebody is listening to see how you're going to respond to your midnight. You may not be aware of it, but, but there's some other prisoner, prisoner listening to see what you're going to do in your midnight hour. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to respond? How are you going to react? I want to tell you, the worst thing you can do in the midnight hour is bail out of ministry. The worst thing you can do is stop coming to church. The worst thing you can do is stop reading your Bible and praying. The worst thing you can do is isolate yourself away from other believers. The worst thing you can do is stop using your gifts. The worst thing you can do is stop singing your song and shouting your praise and offering your worship. Somebody's listening. Your spouse is listening. Your son and daughter are listening. Your coworkers are listening. Your neighbors are listening. See... They already know how bad it is. They need to hear somebody singing about the goodness of God. 
They already know about the chains of addiction. They need to hear that Jesus sets the captives free. They already know about the pain of abuse. They need to hear that Jesus heals the brokenhearted. They already already know about the loneliness. They need to hear that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. They already know about limitations. They need to hear that Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. They already know about the wages of sin. They need to hear about the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. I'm telling you, the prisoners are listening. Worship is your witness. I'll tell you something else about your worship. Worship is your warfare. Listen. Worship is the key to your cell. I don't know just exactly how it happened. But in my sanctified imagination, some of y'all are thinking, when did it get sanctified? I know. I hear what you're doing. In my sanctified imagination, I like to think that while the sound of that last acapella hallelujah was still ringing through the corridors of that prison, another sound, some percussion accompaniment was added to it. See, the Bible says in verse 26 that suddenly there came a great earthquake. Now, an earthquake, as you know, is caused when the tectonic plates on the outer surface of the earth that are, that are moving and shifting, they, they get stuck. Friction is going in and, and, and they just stick and then the pressure builds and the pressure mounts and everything, and then suddenly they shift, and that's an, an, an earthquake happens. The, it shifts. I'm telling you today that your worship will cause things to shift. The enemy has set up barriers and blockades and blockages. Your worship will cause things that have been stuck to break free. Worship will cause things that were headed in one direction to shift courses and change direction. So not only was there a shifting, an earthquake, but verse 26 also says the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Some problems have deep roots that aren't easily discerned. Maybe, maybe your issue stems from abandonment. Maybe it comes as a result of abuse. Maybe at at your core there's, there's guilt over something you did or something someone did to you. I talked last night with a pastor friend of mine and in the course of conversation, he's a dear brother, and uh, we were talking about just a lot of different things and some things that God is doing, and in the course of that conversation, he, he said, he talked about some things in his own life, things that I knew about because we've been friends for many, many years, and he's told me about, but how 
how that he still deals with things. He's 64 right now. And how he still deals with things that happened to him when he was eight years old. And he was abused and molested in a Cub Scout group. And all of that, and, and every now and then he says at, at, at the most, at the craziest time, something will pop up. And, I, and he says, and I have to deal with it all over again. All these years. I, I don't know what, what is at your core. Maybe it's something that's part of your ancestral line for as long as you can trace it. I don't, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Your worship will go to the core of the problem and shake the very foundation of it loose. Worship will cause a shifting and worship will create a shaking. This story tells about the pain they endured. It tells about the praise they expressed. And I can't leave here until I also tell you about the power they experienced. If you're in midnight, if you're bound, if you're locked up, if you can't see any way out, your worship will cause a shifting and your worship will create a shaking that will break the bondage and open the door that has held you captive. Your worship will tear down strongholds. Your worship will be the means of your deliverance. Remember I told you that your worship is the key to your cell? I want you to also see that your worship is the key to their cell. I don't know if you paid attention, but don't miss this. It wasn't just the chains of Paul and Silas that fell off. You read it. It was the chains of all the prisoners who were listening to them as well. It wasn't just the cell door of Paul and Silas that was open. It was the cell doors of all the prisoners. Your worship isn't just a dynamic power for you. It's a power dynamic for those around you who are listening. I want to tell you, when you come into this house and we engage in this activity that we call worship, we start lifting our voices. We start lifting our hands. We start worshiping the Lord Jesus. In that moment, there are people who have walked in this house and they don't know B from shine on about worship. They have no clue about what's going on. They just were doing their religious duty and they showed up and they said, well, I don't know what's happening. But somewhere in the middle of it, if we will get in the presence of God and the worship will rise, not only will you get the release that you need, but they will get the release that they need and chains will fall and doors will open and they will be set free. Hallelujah. Now, it, it, when I read this, it isn't that surprising to me that Paul and Silas didn't run away when their chains were loosed and their cell door was opened. I mean, they're, they're there on assignment, you know, that, I get that. But what's kind of amazing to me is that not one prisoner tried to escape. See, what that says to me is there's something attractive about worship. I'm not interested in us just getting around here and, you know, cheerleading, rah-rah, and everybody, you know, go through our spiritual calisthenics, you know, please spare me. I'm having to restrain myself because I really want to go off on a rabbit trail right there and just, just but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm pulling myself, I'm, come back, John, come back. But genuine worship, oh, 
there's something about genuine worship that makes people want to stick around. <laughs> it seems when I read this, like prisoners would rather hang around happy preachers than go free. <laughs> if you're bound up and locked down, the key to your freedom is your worship. So in the midnight hour, lift up your voice and worship. In the midst of pain, lift up your voice and worship. In the presence of darkness, lift up your voice and worship. Okay, pastor, that's, how long do I worship? I'm glad you asked. Worship until. Worship until. Worship until you feel the chains break. Worship until you hear the prison doors open. Worship until there's a light that breaks through to push back the darkness. Worship until the jailer is convicted. Worship until your pain is gone. Worship until your child comes back to her senses. Worship until your husband surrenders his life to Jesus. Worship, worship, worship until the victory comes. And when the victory is won, don't stop worshiping. Refuse to allow the circumstances of your life to dictate your worship. Let me finish by telling you this. We didn't read the, the very end of the story. I hope you'll do that later on your own. Let me just tell you the highlight of it here. You remember that the reason Paul and Silas were imprisoned in the first place was because of false charges. The day after their beating and incarceration, the magistrates suddenly realized they had wrongfully arrested, beaten, and imprisoned men who were Roman citizens without even the benefit of a trial. And that's like this major no-no. <laughs> they can lose their lives for doing that. They knew they were in deep trouble, so they sent word to the prison for Paul and Silas to be released. And they just wanted them to quietly leave town. Just, we'll just kind of pretend the last two days never happened. Just. When the orders came to the prison, Paul would have none of it. He said, oh no. You made a public spectacle of us. Now we expect a public apology. I'm here today to remind somebody that you don't ever need to be intimidated by the powers of darkness that come against you. When you are right before God, he will clear your name. God will see to it that the same ones who publicly accuse you will publicly declare your innocence. When you trust the Lord and you worship him, even in the midnight hour, he has a way of seeing that the unjust are humiliated and the just are exonerated. The proud are abased and the humble are exalted. You just keep worshiping. You just keep trusting him. You just keep singing your song even in the midnight hour. Your worship is the catalyst that releases the power of God to work at your point of need. Your worship will transform your midnight into a miracle. That's what will happen when you really worship. You know, sometimes when it's midnight in my life, 
and I don't know what else to do. Sometimes what comes back to my mind are, are words of the scripture. And I'll just, I just start rehearsing the word of the Lord. Sometimes I just think it, sometimes I say it out loud, some, but I just rehearse the word of the Lord. And then sometimes when I'm in those dark places, what comes back to my mind are the old hymns of the church. Now, I've been around long enough here that you guys know me well enough to know that, you know, that's, that's what was built into me from a very early age. I've been doing this all my life. And it's the old hymns of the church that, now I love, I love the music, praise God for everything we've got going on and all the music, but, but at my core, you know, it's, it's those old hymns. And so I just felt like I needed to say to somebody today that may be at midnight, maybe it'll mean something to you if I told you, be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Yes, he will. Through every day or all the way, <laughs> he will, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to get that deep down in your spirit. God's got this. And God's got you. He's going to take care of you. You just keep holding on to him. You keep, you keep your song. You keep worshiping. Stand with me. I, I got to quit. My time's up. Time's passed up. I wonder if I'm talking today to anybody who feels like you're in midnight right now and you need a miracle. Am I talking to anybody like that? Can I just see your hand? I got a few. I, mean, I feel like I'm in midnight and I need a miracle. If you got your hand up and that's you, would you, would you allow me to pray with you? I'm going to ask you if you just come and stand here in the front. I, I just want to believe that God has a miracle for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to believe you, with you. Praise God. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. Talking to you, Bill. He will take 
of you. God will take care of you. I'm going to ask my elders that are present in this service if you'll come and just stand behind these people, please. Thank you. Thank you. And all over this house, would you just extend your hand of blessing toward these people? And let's just believe together that God has a miracle with their name on it today. Pastor Larry, I know I got you playing in B-flat in an old song, but you play what you wanted to play and sing and worship, but let's just minister to one another and to the Lord. Praise the Lord, He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord, for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord. For the chains that seem to bind you. Serve only to remind you 